Greetings to you. This is the final video of this recording of the intro to Lutheranism, this YouTube catechesis Christian instruction that I have been doing through these several videos. So we've done exactly 20 videos. And the, I could have ended at 19, but called me a little bit OCD. I hated that odd number. So we're ending at number 20, and we're going to be talking about just the church here. And so what you experience through the worship life. And so what I'm going to use is the guideline. Is This is Lutheran service book. This is our hymnal. And throughout the year, as through the church, when you come to Sunday, there is a set of readings. There's a gospel. There's an Old Testament lesson. Or there's a first reading. So the first reading could be either the Old Testament um, it could be taken from the book of Acts or it could be taken from the book of Revelation. And so there's that first reading. There's an epistle lesson, which could be take, is taken from um, anything basically from Romans to Jude. Sometimes Acts and Revelation could be in there, but usually it's somewhere between Romans and Jude. And then there's a gospel lesson. And then there's also a psalm um, sometimes. What the reading is, is determined by the church here. There is a set standard of what the readings are every single Sunday of the year. So, for example here, um, on our, in our hymnal, so this is under Series B. So there's two lectionaries. There's what is known as the one-year historic lectionary. Um, that's where they, they have a, a reading cycle that's repeated every single year, year after year. So what you read on Advent 1 last year, you would hear an Advent 1 next year. Or the year after, and the year after that, and the year after that. The idea of that, the repetition, is for the sake of memory. You hear it every year um, throughout your life. You actually begin to memorize it. And they have found that there is validity to that. Um the other one is, and this is what we we follow, is the three-year lectionary. So what you hear, so if, what you'll hear on this coming Sunday, whatever Sunday that might be when you're watching this, that reading will be heard again exactly three years from the date, and but the year after will be another set of readings. There's a cycle of readings, three years worth of readings, and they repeat themselves at the end of three years. And so, so for example, so series B, this would be the second year, the three-year lectionary, is, so Advent 1, you'd hear from the Old Testament reading would be Isaiah 64, verse 1 to 9. The epistle reading would be 1 Corinthians 1, 3 to 9. And then the Holy Gospel might be either Mark 11, 1 to 10, or Mark 13, 24 to 37. So that is the readings. And the reason, one of the nice things about the lectionary, as opposed to um, like the passages coming with its own series, is it does free the congregation from the pastor's personality, totally dominating in the pastor's personality. Now, the pastor's personality, no matter what, is going to have an influence um, on the sermon and the services and things like that. But if you if a pastor only always ever does sermon series, you're going to be stuck in his pet issues, his pet topics. And there's actually a lot of stuff you're going to miss. So like some churches are like, well, we just work through this book of the Bible. The problem is you actually will find yourself missing 
things because there are major theological topics, important elements of the Christian life that some books of the Bible don't even cover. And you might be thinking, well, why does that book of the Bible cover it? Because another book does. See, we're, we take all the scripture. And so really what you get on Sundays is the highlights of scripture. We're basically giving you the key themes, the key teachings, central teachings on scripture. And every, pretty much every, that's, and the thing is, like a pastor saying, well, man, we really need to preach about uh, prayer at some point. Well, pastor's patient, it's coming. The pastor thinks, well, you need to talk. We really need to be talking about marriage again. Pastor needs to be, if he's patient, marriage is coming. It's going to be talked about. Um, he needs to talk about stewardship. Again, patience, stewardship's coming up. All of these things, they show up in the lectionary eventually. You just have to be patient. And so in the church here, we have if you come in on a Sunday morning or Saturday evening, wherever, when you come to church, the altar, so that's the place where the communion happens, is covered in, is decked out in colors. The lectern, which is where the scripture readings are read, or the, and the pulpit, which is where the sermon is preached, they also have these pyramids on them, and they have a set color. And myself, as a pastor, I would also be wearing a color. And this is, and the color would be green or purple or whatever. And each of these colors are reflective of the day of the, year, the church year. And it's also reflective of teaching and, or reflective of the themes of the season. And so that's what we're going to walk through here, each of the seasons of the church year. So the first, the season, the church year always starts um, on the Sunday closest to November 30th. November 30th is St. Andrew the Apostles Day. So St. Andrew was the first disciple. The Sunday that lands closest to it is the first Sunday in Advent, which in Advent literally means coming. It's an it's we're anticipating the coming of the Christmas celebration. We're also we're also are mindful that Jesus comes to us in the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. He comes to us in the proclamation of the word, and he comes to us in the waters of baptism. We are also mindful of Jesus coming again on the last day to judge the living of the dead. The color might be blue. In some churches, it's blue, um, it's a, which symbolizes hope, the hopeful anticipation. In our congregation, we use violet, which is a mixture of purple and black. Uh, violet is a color of repentance, and I'll get to that a little bit more later, but it is mindful that the season of Advent is a penitential season. It's a season that you are... Um, readying your heart, readying your mind <clears throat> for the celebration, the joyful celebration of Christmas, but also for the much even more joyful um, event when Christ comes to return, returns to establish his eternal kingdom. The season that follows Advent is Christmas, which I hope I don't have to tell you this, but it is December 25th. And so <clears throat> Christmas Eve it technically starts at 6 o'clock on December 24th. 
<clears throat> and it goes all the way till the end of Christmas. And then Christmas Day is December 25th. And Christmas is 12 days. So you've heard the song, On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. That's because, so the dating of the date of Christmas, to understand how this got determined, in the ancient in the ancient church, it was believed that great prophets died on the same date they were conceived. So it was believed for a long time that Jesus was um, crucified on March twenty fifth. And the reason why March 25th was chosen as a date of his crucifixion is because of a Jewish belief that March 25th is also day one in Genesis, the first day of creation. And so it was believed that Jesus was crucified on the date that he was that the date, the same date that the world began to be created. And this would actually be close to the time of Passover some years. And then they figured, well, so Jesus was crucified on March 25th. Then he also, that means he was also, um, his conception was also on March 25th. And so if he was conceived on March 25th, there's nine months for pregnancy, he would have been born December 25th. And there is actually some other scholarly research that shows it is actually very possible that Jesus was born on December 25th. Um, and the reason is, is because of things in the, that are recorded in the, the Gospels. And it's that's probably a discussion for another time, another day. But nonetheless, this is why December 25th gets selected as Christmas. In the Eastern Church, so in the West, where we live, in the Western Church, we are under what's known as the Gregorian calendar. The Eastern Church is under the Julian calendar. And so they calculated the birth of Jesus to January 7th, 6th to the 7th. And that is when we celebrate the day of Epiphany. The, day, the 12 days that go from December 25th to January 5th, those are the 12 days of Christmas. And then the evening of January 5th begins Epiphany, or the Eastern day of Christmas. So... That's why it's 12 days. And the color for Christmas season is white. This symbolizes the purity of Jesus. Then you have the Epiphany season, which is, so the Epiphany, the day of Epiphany is, the color is still white, symbolizing again the purity of Jesus. The, the first Sunday after Epiphany is the baptism of our Lord. So we that's so right after so Epiphany is the day when the Magi came. They came to worship the newborn Jesus. And so and they would have come anywhere from 40 days to two years after Jesus' birth. And so that on a, the day of Epiphany, we are remembering that moment. The Sunday after that is when we celebrate when Jesus came to the Jordan River and was baptized by John the Baptist. And the color on that day is white. White symbolizing the holiness that we receive in, that we receive in our own baptism. So, and of course, the holiness of Jesus who was being baptized. The second Sunday of after, then the rest of the Epiphany season 
So this is the color is green. And so green is um, a color of growth. So right now, as I'm recording this, we are in January, and we're getting ready for a winter storm. So you don't see a lot of green outside. The trees are pretty bare. The grass is pretty brown at this point. But in the summer, it's nice and green and beautiful. And so that lets you know the grass is growing. The trees are growing. Green is a color for growth. And so green in the season of Epiphany is to symbolize the growing revelation. So the word epiphany literally means a revelation, revealing, showing. So Jesus is revealing himself as the Christ, the Son of God. And so, so much of it is ultimately his revelation. So the Magi coming is revealing him as the Christ. Um, the baptism of our Lord, he says, you hear the words, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, he does the he does the miracle at Cana when he turns the water into wine. That's again about who Jesus is, and so that's what it, why it's green. The last Sunday of Epiphany is Transfiguration. This is the Sunday of the Transfiguration. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and it's right before Lent, and it's white because on the Transfiguration is when Jesus became a white light. It's brighter than any light you have ever seen. The brighter than the brightest LED light. And so the white on that day is reminiscent of that light. And it's transfiguration is also the day that we pack away the Alleluia verses. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But you'll hear a few Alleluias, but it's also you're going to get a reflection that this is, we're putting them away. You're not. This is the last time you're going to hear Alleluia. In some cultures, they have they celebrate a day, which is that Tuesday after Transfiguration, which is literally the last day of Epiphany. No, it's people celebrate a day called Mardi Gras, which means Fat Tuesday, and that is the day that and it's called Fat Tuesday because a lot of people give up stuff for Lent, and so they kind of splurge on whatever they're giving up on Tuesday on Mardi Gras, and then. They cut, cut ties with whatever it is they're giving up. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And so Ash Wednesday is, well, it's 40 days before Easter and not including Sundays. It begins with Ash Wednesday, which you'll, some churches on Ash Wednesday are violet. Some churches are black. Um but it is, like I said, it's the start of the Easter season or the Lenten season. And you're beginning your preparation to celebrate Good Friday. So Lent, the color is, is violet, just like it is in Advent, the traditional color of Advent. As I mentioned before, violet is a color of repentance. And the reason is, is because in the ancient world, violet was made from the blood of snails. And so because something it, because of that, it was extremely expensive, which means only the wealthiest of the wealthy were able to purchase it. And the other reason is that it is um, something had to die for this purple dye to be made. And so for that reason, violet symbolizes royalty, 
but it also symbolizes sacrifice. And so it points us to repent in light of our sacrificial king, our king who died that we may have his kingdom, may receive the kingdom. Sundays are never called are never Lent. And this actually is true in Advent, too. So we actually say it's the first Sunday in Advent, not of Advent. We say it's the first Sunday in Lent, not of Lent. And the reason is because they're not actually Lent or Advent. And the reason is is because every single Sunday is a little Easter. It's a little, there's always going to be a certain level of joy. And so therefore, practices still, um, there are many practices when it comes to Lent. Um, some, so for example, uh, let me use just an example of this. This coming Sunday, from when I'm recording this, so I'm recording this right now on January sixteenth, twenty twenty. The prayer of the church, the prayer of the day, or the collect for this coming Sunday, is Almighty and everlasting God who governs all things in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. If that same prayer was prayed during Lent, some churches will go, Grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. There's not as much there. The doxology is cut out. Um, you'll have some churches that will, um, you don't do the glory of excelsis, you know, glory, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. You know, we don't sing that. We don't sing this is the feast. There's no alleluia because that's the word. Alleluia literally means praise Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, we eliminate that. Uh, many churches will forbid flowers on the altar. Uh, there's there's quite a few practices. There's they'll get rid of prelude music, and postlude music. Um, there's a lot of things that go on to it to kind of get this song, kind of this penitential mode to help you focus on your sin because this is not a time to celebrate. And as one pastor mentioned, it is basically really the season of Lent. Is a season that is designed to prepare you to die. And this really comes forward when you get to the end of Lent. Lent, and so towards the end of Lent, so we get to the fifth Sunday of Lent, this is what begins Passion Tide. It is at Passion Tide that the glory be to the Father goes away. You'll stop hearing glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit. That will go away. You will hear, um, again, prelude music gone and all that stuff. The mu It starts to intensify. I mean, the hymn of the day for um, that second to last Sunday is, your, my, lo your, my love is a love unsung. I think it, I'm not remembering it off the top of my head. My song is love unknown. Yeah, my song is love unknown. And you read it. It is just gut-wrenching him when you read the theology you see the theology in it expressing the gut-wrenching love that god that christ has for you in the cross um then the sunday after that is palm sunday 
which is where you have the triumph. We have a triumphal entry, and one of the traditions is to read the the crucifixion account either from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And there's also there might be a procession, church congregational processional, where people all the church comes in waving the palm branches and all that stuff. The song, the service starts out kind of joyous. With the hymn like "All Glory, Lord, and Honor to Thee," it's a joyful song, but very quickly the service goes to you know darker, stronger emotion. Um, again, much more reverent. Uh, the bells go away in this service. You will no longer you won't hear bells. Uh, there's and then the last hymn even. Uh, ends with this is a very strong reminder that we are now getting ready for the cross. The traditional color for Palm Sunday, um, there's three different colors. Some churches go red, um, violet is you know the typical one, but some churches, not many churches have this, and this is actually the ideal color for Palm Sunday is scarlet, is the symbol which is more of a blood red to remind you what we are getting ready for. We're getting ready for the crucifixion. Um, then you have, on Thursday, you have Palm Sunday. I mean, you have Maundy Thursday. And there's actually a day all throughout this week. There's Mo Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday. Then you get to Maundy Thursday. Maundy means mandate or mandata, means the command. So it's about the command of the Lord's Supper. This is the last thing Jesus commanded before he was crucified, that we receive the Lord's Supper. And so he, admit, he administered it. He instituted it. And so that's a focus. But we focus on the Lord's Supper, but we also focus the theology of the Lord's Supper, but we also, much more so, are focusing on the events of that night that Jesus is betrayed. Jesus prays the prayer that he prays, um, things like that. And so... Um, the color for that day is traditionally white um, because that you because it's to symbolize the forgiveness of sins that you receive in the Lord's Supper on uh, Monday Thursday. Then comes Good Friday, the traditional color being black, and this is the sim and by the way, so one of the things so Monday Thursday, one of the traditions is at the very end of the service, the church the, the altar. The pulpit, everything gets stripped down. The candles are removed. The pyramids, those cloths, they're removed. The Bible's removed. Everything is removed. And this is a reminder of, first, that Christ is stripped. But it's also, it's, it's so startling to look at this. Because we, as you know, it's like you. It's like when you move out of a house. You've lived there for years. You've gone through that house. And you've seen. You're so used to the furniture being there and it being kind of a little messy and things like that. But when you move, you see it's empty. There's nothing there. When the church, when the altar is stripped, you're reminded of that. But it's also a reminder that when you die, it's a reminder of when you are you are dying, when you're on your deathbed. You don't get to take your possessions with you. You don't get to take your money. You don't get to take your clothing, your house, your car. You don't get to take your success on this earth. You don't get to take your job. You don't even get to take your family with you. It's just you 
in Christ. And that's what's the reminder that in your mo this is what Lent is ultimately about. This is why some people have the practice of fasting, is to be dependent upon God. They spend more time in prayer, they spend more time um, reading scripture, is to teach themselves to be dependent upon God. To remember that ultimately, when they face, when you taste death in that moment, you stand before God, none of your treasures, none of your successes in life are going to matter one little bit. The only thing that's going to matter is your relationship with him. So that's what's being stripped. Just remember, on your last day, it's just going to be you and him. And it's a reminder that just is, and by the way, this is the, sometimes Psalm 22 is said after the altar is stripped, that everything's stripped. Um, some will say it while it's being stripped. But either way, Psalm 22 is included. And the opening words are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these are words that Jesus said on the cross saying that Jesus was abandoned by Jesus on the but by God the Father on the cross. So we say that as a reminder that he was abandoned. He was stripped naked. He had nothing. He set aside all of his glory and majesty and his power. And he was abandoned by God the Father on the cross so that you in your moment of death would not be abandoned by God the Father. Instead, he would embrace you as his beloved child. And then Good Friday, like I said, you come to church, it's black, and the church, the light candles are on, and the church gets darker and darker and darker. And at the end, you have what is known as the strepitus, which is a loud bang, and then you hear... Um, and then everybody leaves in silence, which is really difficult for some people because a lot of us want to go talk and have conversations. But both the end of Monday Thursday and the end of Good Friday, we leave in silence. And the Good Friday service, I'm amazed by many Christians have never been to it, but it truly is probably the most powerful service in the entire church year. And it makes sense because as Lutherans, we are theologians of the cross. The center of our Christian message is the cross. You know, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So it makes sense that that is really the most, um, one of the most powerful services of the year is given the message. So you get done with Good Friday, then you come to Holy Saturday, which is the start of the Easter celebration. So at 6 o'clock, somewhere in the night, churches have what are known as Easter vigils. Some will have them like right at midnight. They'll go until like 3 in the morning because the full Easter vigil is really long. But you come in and the Easter vigil, it's you start off where you ended on Good Friday. So Good Friday, you ended in pitch blackness. Easter vigil, you start out in pitch blackness and darkness. But slowly the church gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And it, the service gets more and more joyful as you progress. And then towards, 
in the middle of the service, you hear for the first time, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, Alleluia. And that joy begins to burst out, and the Alleluia start coming out. And then Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, you have the services. Some churches have, many churches have a sunrise service. And, and again, you actually come in and darkness, kind of like the women, when they came to the tomb in the darkened morning, the church is kind of dark and they come and they see the tomb, stones rolled away. The body's not there. And in the afternoon, they find out that he's been, he's risen. They eventually find out he's risen from the dead. And so that's what it is. We come from the, the, we're kind of going through that motions of going from the, the mystery, that empty tomb, to the overflowing joy that he has risen from the dead. He has conquered death, even death by crucifixion. And so the Alleluia's burst forth, and it's kind of a fun game to count how many different Alleluia's are said in the course of a service. And the joy is overflowing. The traditional color for Easter, there's there's two colors. Some The traditional color is act, for Easter Sunday is gold. And the reason is to remind you that the king has the king of kings and lord of lords has risen from the dead and his kingdom is yours. The other color is white because Christ is holy and by his resurrection you are made holy, you are sanctified, you are set apart for salvation. And the entire season of Easter the color is white. And the season of Easter is 50 days. And it goes all the way to Pentecost. Along the way, there is a day called Ascension, Ascension Day, which is when we celebrate Jesus ascending into heaven. And when he ascends on that day, right after the gospel lesson, now we don't have an Ascension Day service. So here we do celebrate one over at Mission Central near Maple, outside of Mapleton, Iowa. But the tradition is, is if you have a Christ candle like we do, on Ascension Day, right after the gospel lesson is read, that candle is extinguished, and that candle remains unlit all the way until Christmas. So at Advent, the Advent wreath is set around it. You start lighting those candles, kind of like a clock ticking down. You get to Christmas, and that candle is lit for the first time. And that's symbolizing the anticipation of Christ's return. So... Like I said, the season of Easter is all about Jesus revealing himself as risen from the dead. It's about emphasizing the bodily resurrection of Jesus and also your bodily resurrection. And then you get to Pentecost 50 days later. And Pentecost is when we remember Jesus um, or the Holy Spirit descending upon the church, upon the Christians, um, enabling them to be the church it's the birthday of the church that they may go out and that they may proclaim the gospel because as we talked about when we talked about the third article of the creed um no one can believe without the holy spirit and so it's by the holy spirit that we are enabled to believe and so on the day of pentecost the holy spirit descended on the crowd and all of a sudden, the disciples, Peter, most foremost, stands bold and he preaches. He proclaims the gospel in all boldness. And so on Pentecost, we celebrate this. And by the way, there are three high days of the church year. The high days are Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. 
Christmas is the day that we really celebrate the fulfillments of the promise of God the Father. So that is the day of God the Father. Easter is the day of Jesus rose from the dead. So that's the day of the Son. And Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit descended upon the people. And so that's the day of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, day, and the Sunday after uh, Pentecost is the, is the Sunday is Trinity Sunday, which is when we focus on the doctrine, the teaching, and celebrate our God who represents himself as Trinity, as triune. And so it's Holy Trinity Sunday. And it's also the day where we you hear the Athanasian Creed, that really long one. The season of Pentecost, the, sea, the color is all green, and it goes all the way from the week after Trinity all the way to Advent. And there's days scattered in between that might be different. Like there's Reformation where we'll be red. Um, all Saints Day is white, things like that. But generally it's all green. And the reason is because the season after Pentecost, which is the bulk of the is the largest portion of the church year, sometimes it's called ordinary time. It's focusing on the life of a Christian, how you're to live as a Christian. And that's why it's green. So it's symbolizing the sanctification, the growing sanctification, the growing faith in each Christian. And so that's that's pretty much the church year. Um, along the way, there is all these other things that happen. So like here in my hymnal, you have right here, you have the seasons of the church year, but you also have all these feast days. So you have like St. Andrew, St. Thomas, St. Stephen. Um, in the black, you have like uh, New Year's Day, is the circumcision uh, in name of Jesus. That's January 1st. February 2nd is the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord. That means if those days land on a Sunday, they are celebrated no matter what. If any of the non-highlighted ones land on a Sunday, it's up to the pastor. Do they want to talk about um, Holy Cross Day or St. Bartholomew or something like that? It's up to the pastor. Um, so those are that's the church here. And through the, the purpose of this church here is to give you a full teaching of the Christian faith. It's to teach you. Um, and that's what holidays are, the purpose of holidays, of days like that. Um, we have this even in our secular calendar. So like 4th of July is a day to, to teach about the Declaration of Independence and on July 4th of 1776. Um Martin Luther King Day. We, we talk about Martin Luther and the Civil Rights Movement. Um, Columbus Day. We talk about Columbus. Uh, there's any of a number of secular days throughout the church, uh, throughout our calendar that are used to teach something. So also the church here is designed to teach something. And so that's the purpose of it. And the pastor, every Sunday, he's going to preach law and gospel. That's the core of every sermon. And that was reflected in the previous video. I'm going to read this passage again. This is really the last thing I'm going to end with, and I think it's a good ending. So I'm going to Acts. Not Acts, sorry, Luke, chapter 24. Acts, or Luke chapter 24, verse 47, it says, Repentance, for the for Jesus speaking, says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. And then this is the key verse. 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And I should note that the ESV changed that. Originally it says repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. The per point, if you've looked in behind me right here, this book has been sitting up right behind me. It says Law and Gospel, C.F.W. Walter. It's a book that every Lutheran pastor should read to be a good preacher. The pastor's job and everything I've talked about, it all does ultimately boil down to law and gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The Our job as pastors are to guide you to repentance. And repentance not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Repenting of our sins, confessing of our sins, confessing of our weakness, confessing of our failings, so that we may be led to the forgiveness of sins. So the pastor's job is always to preach the law and to preach gospel, to preach the forgiveness of sins. And you need to hear it over and over again. And the reason is because is the devil is always trying to snuff it out. He's always trying to silence it. He's trying to destroy your faith. So you need to come again and again and again and hear repentance and the forgiveness of sins throughout the church here, learning of what Jesus has done and continues to do for you so that you may receive the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, that you may proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's it. We have finished this. This is um, the core of what we believe as Lutherans, what we believe, teach, and confess. And I pray that this has all been a blessing to you. And I pray a blessing in your faith journey. In Jesus' name. Amen.